You are listening to New Covenant Fellowship. Well, one year ago exactly, we began a journey in discussing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the community or territory over which Christ reigns as king. And as of late, we've been discussing what it means. What does it mean for you and I to be citizens of the kingdom? How should we view the world around us? What should our paradigm be? How shall we conduct ourselves? And over the past few weeks, more specifically, we've been discussing the upside-down nature of the kingdom of heaven and saying that in many ways, our view, our paradigm, the way that we see the world, the way that we understand things is going to be very much opposed to the way that one naturally sees things. We're going to see things in a very upside-down, backwards, inside-out kind of way. And so when we first began looking at this concept of the upside-down kingdom, we discussed greatness in the kingdom. Whereas Jesus says, the last are first, and the first are last. Whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant. We don't define greatness in the kingdom as having the most servants, but being the most like a servant. In short, the best serves the rest. Then we moved on from there, and last week we camped out in the end of Mark chapter 8, looking at Jesus' words, in which he said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. We looked at the context and explored uh, the historical setting and found that while up to that point everything had been easy going for followers of Jesus, it was about to get rough. Jesus was preparing them for the fact that if they wanted to continue to follow him, they must be prepared to go to the cross because that's where that road was leading. Following him would soon cost them something and probably their lives because they were guaranteed persecution and tribulation in their days. So Jesus tells them, look, if in an attempt to save your physical life, you deny my name, you will lose out on eternal life. But if when push comes to shove, you're not ashamed of me before men and you hold fast to my name, but in the process lose your physical life, you will gain eternal life. And in the kingdom, our perspective should be, you know what? Eternity is a little bit longer than the little lifespan we've got here on this earth. And so kind of flips things upside down in many ways. Well, this morning we're going to continue to discuss the upside down nature of the kingdom. And we're going to do so in terms of strength and weakness. And our sermon text is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles right now, and I'll set the context for you. As we discussed last week, those who follow Jesus would soon face trials, hardships, tribulation, persecution. Now, one individual that made this threat very real is a man named Saul, and you can read about him in the book of Acts. And Saul was one who would essentially go to the religious leaders, go to the high priests and obtain letters allowing him to pursue and persecute and prosecute Christians. Okay? He was a very real threat. He was notorious. He was a scary guy to the disciples. 
This is what he says of himself. In Acts 26, verses 9 through 11, when he's on trial, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people into prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from synagogue, one synagogue to another, to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. I mean, this Saul was a very real threat to the lives of Christians. But one day, this Saul had an encounter with the risen Lord, a life-changing encounter, a transforming encounter. And now we know of him as Paul the Apostle. Jesus then commissioned Paul to go and bring the good news, bring the gospel of the kingdom beyond the borders of Israel and into the territories of those known as the Gentiles. And so Paul went throughout the Roman Empire preaching the gospel, establishing and forming churches. And one of the churches that Paul founded is the church in Corinth. And much of our New Testament is made up of letters that Paul wrote to these churches that he had established. And the book we're going to look at right now is the, one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. So we'll pick up in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. We'll read through the end of the chapter, and we'll kind of draw out some meaning and application. Beginning in verse 18, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. For it is written, that is in the Old Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly and the despised and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Naturally, humans tend to think, when I am strong, I am strong. My strength, my power, depends on my own personal achievements. 
my intellectual abilities and prowess, what I know, what I do, who I am, what I can bring to the table, what I can generate. I am somebody because of who I have made myself to be. If I'm strong, it's because I have gotten there. In short, my power lies in me. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's upside down. When I am weak, then I am strong. Power is perfected in weakness. And Paul begins by discussing the concept of intellectual power in a discussion of wisdom. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written in Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Kingdom turns the concept of wisdom upside down. He says that God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. We looked at this word, world, that's translated from the Greek word cosmos. Last week we looked at this and it means a world order or a system. Okay? Now Paul points out that the message of the gospel turns upside down the concept of wisdom both for the Jewish world system, the old covenant world order, and for the Greco-Roman world of that time. Okay? He says, where is the teacher of the law? Because the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of that old covenant world, they prided themselves on what they knew, their knowledge of the law and the prophets. Ooh, look how much of the law I remember. I know I can tell you all these things about the law. Okay? Paul says, where is the teacher of the law? Through the message of the cross, God has made foolish wisdom according to that world order. Additionally, where is the philosopher of this age? Where is the Greek philosopher? In, in their days, in the Greco-Roman world, they had been uh, very much influenced by the philosophies of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, or with Bill and Ted's interpretation, Socrates. Right? <laughs> uh, but Paul points out that the message of the cross renders this Greek philosophy, this pondering of the existence of God and all of these high and lofty thoughts, Paul says the message of the cross renders that foolish. Foolish. Now this is a timeless precept that transcends both the old covenant world order of Judaism as well as the Greco-Roman world system. And it applies to our 21st century American post-enlightenment world order. The message of the cross renders all world orders understanding of wisdom as foolishness. I don't care how sophisticated a world system is, the message of the cross by comparison renders it foolish. Children go to school, elementary school, learn basics, arithmetic, and they move on. There's levels to this attaining of wisdom. There's levels to attaining knowledge and intellect and growing in our strength and power in that realm. Move on from arithmetic to algebra, geometry, trigonometry, calculus. I mean, there's, there's levels, right? And once, once you graduate high school, then there's 
for those who want to pursue more education and grow in the power of the mind and the power of the, the intellect, there's the option for higher learning, right? going to college. And then even higher learning, right? Because beyond a bachelor's degree, you can go and get yourself a master's degree. And then you can go even higher and get yourself a doctorate. But when, when do you go from higher learning to highest learning? I mean, when have you arrived? If you have a PhD, I mean, have you arrived? Are you at that level? Have you attained supreme wisdom? Are you at that level of highest knowledge at that point? I propose to you that supreme wisdom, ultimate knowledge, highest learning is knowledge of God. Not just knowing about Him, not just speculating about His existence, not just knowing what the Bible says about Him, but knowing Him. Knowing Him is highest learning. Now, you would think that, okay, if, if we've got these levels, right, and at elementary school you learn basic things, and then you go higher and you learn more complex things, and you go into college and you've got higher and higher and higher learning, you would think that if there's a highest learning and it's knowing God, you would think that it would be upper echelon type post-doctorate level material, right? Not so. This is where things get upside down and the highest learning comes through a foolish message of the gospel, of the cross, of Jesus Christ. A message that it's not post-doctorate, not master's level, not undergrad level, it's not even high school level, but as Sherlock Holmes would say, yeah, little kids can understand this simple message. And according to the world's definition of wisdom, it's foolishness. It's foolish. <clears throat> wait, so, wait, wait. So you're saying that I don't come to know God by all of the knowledge I have of the scriptures? No. You're saying that I don't come into a right relationship with God and make myself righteous before Him by all of the good things that I can do? No. What are you saying here? I'm saying that you come to know God on the, on the message of the cross of Jesus Christ and His merits, not your own. So you're telling me that I'm made righteous not because of what I do, but what He does? Yeah, that sounds foolish. That sounds backwards. That's so upside down and just weird. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not righteous because of what I do, but because of what He did? I don't satisfy God's wrath by some sacrifice I can make. I don't make propitiation for my sins. God makes propitiation for my sins and satisfies His own wrath by shedding the blood of His own Son? That sounds foolish. What sense does that make? I just believe, I just believe in this Jesus guy. And through that faith in Jesus and what he did, I come to know God? That's, that's foolishness. That's foolish sounding. To the Jews a stumbling block? To the Greeks foolishness? To our 21st century American post-enlightenment culture and world system foolishness to those who are perishing the message of the cross is foolishness but to those who are being saved is the power of God what good is it if humanity 
pursues higher learning and learns bigger and better things, but all the while in the process neglects highest learning through the message of the cross and misses out on the biggest and best thing, namely knowing God. I mean, when we're on our deathbed, what is going to be the most important thing that we know? The philosophies of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates? <laughs> knowing quantum physics and mechanics and calculus, is that, is that what's important on our deathbed? That which is defined as wisdom by our world system or that which is defined as wisdom by the so-called foolish message of the cross to Christ. On our deathbed, I can guarantee you that highest learning is what matters most. Knowing God is what matters most. So after this discussion of the power of the intellect, Paul moves into a discussion of the power of one's status, nobility, position, of influence, one's name. Now there's this tendency of mankind to want to be someone. To, to want to be someone in the eyes of the world. At the gym, they're always playing music videos, and one video that they play repeatedly over and over and over and over at the gym is a song that has a chorus um, I think the artist is a script featuring Will I Am or something like that. But the chorus goes, the world's going to know your name. And the lyrics like that are indicative of the fact that people tend to kind of want to be somebody. There's not a whole lot of people out there striving to be a nobody. Right? Typically, humans tend to kind of want to be somebody in the eyes of another. Well, being somebody in the eyes of the world doesn't necessarily make you somebody in the eyes of God. There were many who thought themselves to be somebody to whom Jesus said, Away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. What's more important? To be somebody in the eyes of the world? To be somebody in the eyes of Jesus? For the world to know your name? Or for Jesus to know your name? When it comes to status, when it comes to power, when it comes to being somebody, God turns these concepts upside down in the kingdom of heaven. Consider how God kicked off this whole kingdom of heaven movement with Jesus. I mean, was Jesus a somebody? No, in the eyes of most, Jesus was a nobody. Wait, 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 he came from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come on now. Jesus, isn't this the son of Mary and Joseph the carpenter? Really? Jesus. I mean, where are his religious credentials? I mean, under which teacher of the law has he sat and had his religious training? I mean, where's the guy's credentials? Come on. Jesus was to many a nobody. And then consider those 12 disciples that Jesus chose upon which to build this new Israel. I mean... They weren't religious leaders. They weren't of noble birth. They weren't rich and famous. They weren't popular. As Jesse describes them, they were a roguish, ragamuffin, bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, sinners. I mean, this is not the kind of group, Jesus, that you know you want to build a new Israel on. I mean, this is not the new twelve. This is not you don't want to 
this is not the new 12. Really, Jesus? I mean, come on. We've got some perfectly good Pharisees and teachers of the law over here who are prestigious in the eyes of the world. Come on. Why not these guys? No. Upside down. These guys who are considered nobodies. Into these weak nobodies. And, and, and did Jesus not endow, empower these weak nobodies with the power to do miracles Drive out demons, raise the dead. God's power was displayed in these weak men. How upside down. And so Jesus, nobody in the eyes of the world. His 12 disciples, nobody in the eyes of the world. Well, let's consider some of those other individuals that were among God's elect in kicking off this kingdom in the first century. I mean, James says... In James chapter 2, he says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? I mean, you would think if, if there is a God and if he has an elect people, that it'd be the rich and famous, right? I mean, who makes our magazine covers and our headlines on MSN.com? I mean, is it not the rich and famous? I mean, is that not who's somebody in the eyes of the world? But look at those God chose. Not the famous, not the rich, but these poor nobodies. And then right here in our text, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of noble birth. I mean, how backwards and upside down. You would think that if God has an elect, it would be the wise. It would be the noble. It would be the influential, the powerful, the religious elite. You would think that this would be the group that God chose. But not so. Very backwards and upside down. Continuing in the text, verse 27 and 28 and 29, Paul says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You see, God chooses in a way that doesn't make sense to us, in a way that's very upside down from us. I mean, we would think that God would choose according to human standards. Right? But the way that God chose is very upside down, right? Again, you'd think religious, you'd think wise, you'd think powerful, influential, all those things. And then you would think that if there's a last picked or a not picked, you know, it'd be the, the foolish, the powerless, the poor, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, right? Well, look what Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day. Matthew 21, verse 31, he says, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. How upside down, how backwards. I mean, if, if Jesus, it'd be like Jesus picking a team to play dodgeball and saying, I want the least agile individuals out here. Give me the slowest moving individuals. I'll take them and I'll show you how to play this game. I mean, very upside down, very backwards. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. Now, 
in this upside down kingdom, someone is not someone because of what he has done, because of what he knows or she knows, because of his or her name or his or her achievements. In the kingdom, we are somebody because we are in Christ Jesus. Look what Paul says in verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. In the, in the world system, outside of the kingdom of heaven, we, we make ourselves powerful. We make ourselves somebody by our own achievements, by what we have done. And sometimes maybe we have the right last name, like Hilton. But in the kingdom, we become somebody not by our own achievements, but because of what God has done and by being in Christ. We may not be of noble birth, but through faith in Jesus Christ, through rebirth, by being born from above, born of the Spirit, we are born into the royal family of the King. And we are now of a noble birth, more noble than that of any, any human being that has ever lived, born of the most famous of kings that have ever walked this earth. So maybe not born of noble birth according to this world's standards or this world's viewpoint, but in reality, we are of noble birth. We are children of the king. And we get to call the God of the universe, Abba, Father. Talk about being somebody. I mean, think about, I mean, can you imagine being like Michael Jordan's son? I mean, like, see those shoes? Yeah. My dad. That's right. That's right. Michael Jordan. That's my dad. I mean, imagine the boasting rights of that child and how proud he would be of who his daddy is. You and I are not children of Michael Jordan. For followers of Jesus Christ, for in Christ, we are children of the King of the universe. Talk about being somebody. Talk about a reason to boast. Not only are we made noble in Christ, not only are we brought into the royal family of God, but we are made righteous in Christ. I mean, in the world system, one's natural mentality is to think, I am righteous based on my works, based on how many good deeds I do, how many checks I can check off on my boxes of my religious to-do list. But as Isaiah said of the nation of Israel in Isaiah 64 verse 6, all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags. And in the Hebrew, that means menstrual cloths. Our righteous standing before God is not procured by our actions, what we do, but by what Christ has done. By what God has done in Christ Jesus. Not in our own merits, but in Christ's merits. As the text says, because of Him, we are in Christ Jesus and thus become holy, righteous, redeemed. And our natural tendency is to boast in our own achievements. Look at all the good things I've done. Look at all the things I've learned. Bet you didn't know this word. <laughs> but in the kingdom, 
in all the all the glory of man, God takes it and goes, nope. Upside down. Your wisdom? Foolish. Your strength? Weakness. God's foolishness is wiser than all of your wisdom put together. God's weakness is stronger than all of your strength put together. And all the things that you know? Nothing. All the things that you think you can boast about? Nothing. Nothing. So in the kingdom, God removes all boasting rights. We don't boast in our own achievements, but we boast in the Lord. And last week we talked about being proud of Jesus, not ashamed of Jesus. Well, we have some reasons to be proud of Him. I didn't live a sinless life. Jesus did. I did not make the sacrifice to satisfy God's wrath. I did not make propitiation for my sins. God did. I mean, we have so many reasons to boast in Him. And no reason to boast in and of ourselves. Our boast is not in us, but in God. Now, Paul elaborates on this whole concept in another letter that he wrote to this bunch of nobodies in Corinth. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul opens up by kind of speaking in the third person about this guy that he knows that has been caught up to heaven, maybe, and he's been given these visions that are inexpressible. And so then he goes on from there, and we'll pick up halfway through verse 7. And we read in 7b and following. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited about these visions and all the things that he's seen and heard, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to what that thorn in the flesh is. Some point to the book of Galatians and his words there where he says, you know, where's all your joy? If you could have torn out your eyes and given them to me, you would have. So a lot of people think that maybe this was kind of some kind of ailment that Paul had, like an eye disease or something like that. I don't know. Point is, he says, I had this thorn in the flesh. Whatever it was, didn't sound pleasant. Okay. In fact, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Praying to God, take this thing away from me, God. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest. Me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How upside down. Now, understanding these precepts, understanding these kingdom principles, will help us on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, because it generates a paradigm shift for us, helps us to understand who we truly are and how we should see ourselves. I mean, it, it allows us to pursue higher learning. We can take classes, grow in the power of our mind, but all the while keep right perspective that that doesn't make me somebody because I get a degree and put some letters behind my name. Or I'll give me a right to boast 
over my fellow man. Because all the things that I can learn in this higher learning are rendered foolishness by the highest learning through the foolish message of the cross. Additionally, we can do righteous things. We can do good deeds from a right heart, out of a servant's heart, to be a blessing to others, not in order to procure right standing before God, because that is done through the foolish message of the cross of Christ. He's already done that for me. He's already done for me what I cannot do for myself. And so we can do good deeds, not for the sake of, I'm going to make it, I'm going to get to that level, I'm, God's going to be... God's going to be okay with me once I do this many things. And we certainly will have the perspective that says, I'll do good things. I'll be a blessing to my neighbor. For the sake of being a blessing to my neighbor, not for the sake of having boasting power. Because all my righteous acts are filthy rags before God. So our boasts are not in ourselves, but in Him. Additionally, we have a proper self-esteem, Right? speak of our world system, our post-enlightenment 21st century America, there's this very humanistic view that tries to promote a high self-esteem in a very humanistic way apart from God. In the kingdom, understanding who we are in Christ, understanding that we are somebody will help us to have a right self-esteem. Not a low self-esteem that says, no, I'm nobody. Not an abnormally high self-esteem in which we think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but a proper self-esteem, a healthy self-esteem. Okay? In theory, those of us who are citizens in the kingdom should never have the thought, not to say that we can't or won't, but in theory, we should never have the thought that says, I'm a nobody. The world doesn't know my name. I'm not super intellectual. I'm not super wise. I'm not rich and famous. Therefore, I'm nobody. Rather, we should have the viewpoint that says, I am somebody. Yeah, the world doesn't know my name. I'm not super intellectual. I'm not rich and famous. But, though the world does not know my name... Jesus knows my name. Though I may not have pursued higher learning, I may not have a PhD behind my name, but I have pursued highest learning through the message of the cross. And therefore, I know what truly matters. I know who truly matters. Additionally, I may not be rich with worldly wealth, but I am rich in faith and have become an heir of the kingdom that God has promised to those who love Him. I'm not famous in the sense that my name is broadcasted across the headlines of the New York Times or MSN.com, but my name is written in the book of life. Therefore, I'm not nobody. Because I'm in Christ, I am somebody. But I have no reason to boast. Only in Him. So in conclusion, with all of this in view, in the kingdom of heaven, our strength does not come from what we bring to the table, what we know, what we have done, what our last name happens to be, all of the things that we generate and conjure up in our own achievements. Our strength lies in the one 
whose weakness is stronger than man's strength. We are strong in the kingdom when we admit we are weak. We cannot do it. In our impotence, when we utter a faint prayer to the omnipotent one, we tap into the power of the God who calls things that are not as though they were and gives life to the dead. The God for whom nothing is impossible. The God whose weakness is stronger than man's strength. In the upside down kingdom, when we are weak, then we are strong. For power is perfected in weakness.